That's beautiful, Carrie. Beautiful message. Mm. Thank you, Reverend Megan, for anchoring us so beautifully in prayer. And Carrie, for your song, thank you. Sets the tone so beautifully. Isn't it fun? We can see our TV. You like it? Up high, we can see it. Thank you to Richard and Reverend Megan, who worked tirelessly on Wednesday to get us all ready to go. Appreciate all that you do. So we're moving right along this year with 100 years of science of mind. Here we are into autumn. We're moving into that end of September, right? And uh, before we know it, it'll be Halloween. And uh, so this month, we are taking a look at falling into metaphysics. We change things up a little bit. We've been looking at a different science of mind classic book each week. We started with The Game of Life. And we did Ernest Holmes, this thing called You. Last week we talked about Butterworth, uh, uh, the power within you. And today we're going to talk about Joel Goldsmith. So Joel Goldsmith is an interesting bird. I learned a lot about Joel this week as I was looking and doing. We're going to be looking at his book, Practicing the Presence. Practicing the Presence, which is one of the classics. Joel says this. This is a quote from him. The world is not in need of a new religion, nor is the world in need of a new philosophy. What the world needs is healing and regeneration. The world needs people who, through devotion to God, are so filled with the Spirit that they can be instruments through which healing takes place, because healing is important to everyone. Joel Goldsmith is an amazing healer, was an amazing healer. He died in 1964, four years after Ernest Holmes. Uh, he was born in 1892, and he became a very accomplished healing practitioner and what we would call a modern-day mystic. He's one of those that kind of touched the hem of the garment. Um, he started out with no religious training whatsoever. He was born into a family. Uh, he had a younger brother and a younger sister. He was the oldest. And his parents were Jewish, but they didn't practice the Jewish tradition. They didn't practice any really, really religion at home. What his mother told him as a young boy is she taught them the Ten Commandments. And she said if he lived by the Ten Commandments, he would be a good man and he would live a good life. And so that's all that he really knew in his early years. And then about 12 and a half, his mother said, you know, Joel, if you're wanting to learn more about religion, if you're wanting to learn more about God, this is the time that the young men in the truest tradition uh, go through the ceremony of the bar mitzvah, and um, you can learn more about that if you'd want to go to the temple. So for the first time, he stepped through the, uh, the walls of the temple, and he took his training, and, and when he turned 13, he did... Uh, do the uh, confirmation um, ceremony, the bar mitzvah, and it didn't really stick. It wasn't something that he thought was going to be his life thing, but he was introduced to that. And so that was sort of his first adventure into this world of religion. Uh, he then uh, finished the eighth grade, and his first few months in high school, he was asked to leave because he had an argument with the principal. So uh, that was it for his formal education. His father was an importer. His father was an importer of fine lace. And back in that time, women had their dresses made custom. And so they would buy the lace to put on their dresses. So it was big business. And his father was a very successful importer. So as soon as Joel left high school, his father tried to teach him the family business. And he started taking trips with his father over to Europe. And he was a very astute businessman. And he was very intuitive and he sort of knew what laces the women wanted, and, and they had quite a business going. 
1915, uh, Joel's father was one, on one of his business trips overseas and ended up in the hospital. He was in the hospital for 77 days. And at that time, they received a telegram that said, Goldsmith dying, come for body. And, uh, of course, you can imagine the pandemonium this created in the household, you know, and Joe was just 13, 14 years old, but he arranged for passage for his mother to, to sail to Europe because that's how they were doing it then. And uh, he had a dinner party, or he had an appointment to go to dinner with a young woman, and he thought he better go and tell her in person what was happening because he wasn't going to be able to make the dinner. And when he knocked on her door, he met his fa her father, and he told her father what was going on, and the father said, well, your father doesn't have to die. And Joel thought, well, that's kind of weird. The doctor said he's going to, you know, right? I mean, the doctors know, right? And uh, the man said, have you ever heard of prayer? Have you ever heard of healing prayer? And Joel said, you mean like Christian science? You mean like mind over matter? Because that's kind of how it was understood in that time, mind over matter. And the gentleman said, yes, I'm a, a Christian science practitioner, and I can pray for your father. And Joel said, well, go ahead. What have I got to lose, right? He wasn't sure if it would help, but he was sure it wasn't going to hurt, right? So this gentleman prayed for his father. And when his mother got off the plane in Europe, his father was in the hospital room, dressed and ready to go home. Amen is right. Amen is right. And so uh, his father was not ill for another 25 years. He actually outlived his mother by a few years. You know, so this piqued Joel's interest in the Christian science movement. It would pique mine if we had an exceptional healing like that take place. Um, then World War I broke out, and Joel uh, volunteered to go into the Marines. And by this time, he had gotten a little bit of uh, training in religious science, and he became a second reader. He became a second reader for those men in the, in the uh, military. Now, Christian science has readers, and they have practitioners, and they have a first reader, second reader, third reader. So he was the second reader, and he was still continuing to study this Christian science thing. When he came home from the war, the world had changed. Women were no longer buying custom gowns. It was more of an off-the-rack kind of thing like we do now, ready to wear. And so their import business needed to change, and they started to sell some different items. And Joel was a very good salesman. He was a very good businessman. But uh, a few months into doing this new sale, he contracted tuberculosis, which a lot of people did in those times. And so Joel went to see a religious science practitioner, or, or a Christian science practitioner. And the doctors had given Joel three months to live. Tuberculosis then was sort of a death sentence, right? Joel received a prayer from the practitioner. Over a three-month period of time, Joel was completely healed of his tuberculosis. Now, later on in his life, somebody said to Goldsmith, one of his students, when he was teaching later on, they said, you know, maybe that was just a misdiagnosis. Maybe you never really had tuberculosis. I'm not sure you were really healed, right? And so Joel decided that he would go for an x-ray to prove, in fact, that he'd had this healing. And what happened at the time of the x-ray is they saw that he had one lung, and the other lung was a wall of muscles. Right. So he had had that healing take place for him. And even though with all the help from his practitioners and all the prayer support he was getting, his business was going downhill. It was just going down, down, and Joe couldn't really figure out why, why his business was dwindling. He was having the prayer support. He was doing the work that we're told to do to be prosperous and abundant in his life. And uh, one day he came down with a very bad cold. 
And so, where did he go? I'm going to read to you what he says. I was taken sick in the city of Detroit, went to a building that was filled with Christian science practitioners, found the name of a practitioner on the board, went up to the man's office and asked him to help me. He told me that it was Saturday and he didn't take clients on Saturday. That day he always spent in meditation and prayer. So I said, of course you wouldn't turn me away looking the way I do. He says, I really looked bad. And the man said, no, come on in. And I went in and he permitted me to stay there two hours with him. He talked to me of the Bible. He talked to me of truth. Long before the two hours were up, I was healed of that cold. And this was what Joel considered to be his really first big spiritual experience for himself. You know, on the very next day, he had a woman who was a buyer, client of his, come up to him and say, Joel, will you pray for me? I, I know that if you pray for me, I'll be healed. And Joel's like, the only prayer I know is lay me down to sleep, right? He says, I know no prayers. And the woman was insistent. She said, no, Joel, I know if you pray for me, I'll be healed. And so he did what he always did. He said he just talked to God. And he said, God, this woman has come to me for prayer, and I have no idea how to pray, but I know that you know what to do. And he said a prayer, and the woman was healed. The very next day, he had another gentleman come to him and say, Joel, I just know that if you pray for me, I will be healed. And Joe said, what was I going to do? Turn the guy away, right? So he closed his eyes again and he said, okay, we got another customer, God, right? You know, here we go. And he started praying. And before he was done praying, the man tapped him on the shoulder and says, I feel good now. The pain's gone. And he left. And Joel said, this happened every day. This happened every day. And he said what happened is, is he had fewer and fewer customers and more and more clients, right? So there was a transformation that was taking place in him. Uh, he says that uh, all of a sudden, my whole thought was on God and healing. A transformation had taken place it had taken place in my consciousness, not anywhere else, not outside. The same individual I was, only with a transformation such as took place in the experience of Moses, a realization of true identity, an experience that must have taken place in the minds of many before me. So that marked the beginning of Joel's career as an independent practitioner and spiritual healer, noted for his remarkable work in transforming people's life. He was a religious science, uh, or Christian science practitioner for 16 years before he ventured out on his own because eventually there were some things within the Christian science movement that Joel wasn't in line with, and he went and, and created what he called the Infinite Way, which was his first book. He has more than 30 books, that have been compiled by his tapes and recordings. His students were very good, one in particular, about recording all of his talks. And his talks were later made into books, so they're available to us. One of the things about Goldsmith that I think is really interesting, that in religious science churches and religious science classes, we talk about Goldsmith, we teach Goldsmith, we have Goldsmith in our bookstores, but we don't really study Goldsmith in Roots or some of our other classes, you know. And he was invited by Ernest Holmes to speak at the Science of Mind Church. He was invited to speak in Unity of 
of Hawaii. So they did intermingle and they were, you know, all part of this new thought movement. Um, there's a famous story of Joel Goldsmith that we're told in practitioner training. And uh, it's, it's a story of how he grew his business. So Joel Goldsmith, uh, at one point in time, he married a woman named Rose, and she has a few children, and one of the children were going to go to Harvard, so they needed to move to Boston. And his uh, teacher at that time said, oh, you can't move to Boston, Joel. You'll have no clients. You'll have no customers. There's no, nothing for you in Boston because you have a Jewish name. And Bostonians will not want to go to a Jewish individual. And Joe said, well, then I must prove the principle. And Joel said, I'm even more determined now to go to Boston. And this was Joel's thing. He wasn't about really teaching you so much as proving the principle. Because he said, either the principle works or it doesn't work. So if I go to Boston and I have no clients, then I'll hang up my shield. Because the truth is, I can go anywhere, right? And so he went to Boston, and he said, I'll take it even further. I'll do you even one better. I won't tell anybody I'm there. I won't do any advertising. I won't go to a Christian science church. I will just go there with God, right? And he went and he purchased his office space. I think it was $125, which was a lot, and it was just a bare room with nothing in it. And for four months, he went there in the morning and stayed till five o'clock, and he sat there in prayer and meditation, and he didn't have a single client. He didn't have a single client. And slowly, uh, somebody heard of him and, and came to seek him out. And that man had a healing and before you knew it, he had clients. And before you knew it, he was seeing at one time up to 135 clients a day. A day. Yeah. So he, was, uh, he had proved what it was that he was wanting to prove. And so many religious science practitioners in their training, we call it doing the goldsmith thing. They'll set up their, uh, practice, their practice once they become practitioners, and they'll rent a room, and they will sit there until the clients come. You know? And many of us have done that. And many thriving practitioners have started that practice that, their practice that way by just sitting and knowing the truth. By just sitting and knowing the truth. Hmm. So eventually I said Joel left to write his book, The Infinite Way. He was starting to teach and he was starting to have people come to him. And he taught thousands of people people over the years, like Ernest Holmes. He had very few clients or, or students that worked with him directly one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of his teaching was lectures, and again, you can read it in your books, you can get his CDs are still available, his tapes are still available, he has a website, you can hear him speaking on um, YouTube, you can hear him live, you know, he's kind of got that old-fashioned talk that Ernest had. So what is the infinite way? What is the infinite way? What was it that he was teaching? He says, the infinite way is not a religion, but an experience in spiritual living. There is no organization, no structures, no rules, no church buildings, no congregation, no dues, and no bureaucracy. The infinite way is composed solely of the inspired works of Joel based on his revelations and experience. Sound familiar? Kind of sounds like Ernest Holmes, right? We have no philosophy. We have it's just a way of life. The infinite way reveals the nature of God to be one of infinite power, intelligence, and love. The nature of the individual being to be one with God's qualities and character. Expressed in infinite forms and variety. And the nature of the discords of this world to be a misconception of God's expression of himself in the universe. I think that's a very profound statement, you know. Um, 
Practicing the Presence is one of the books that we use in practitioner training. It's in our Prac 1 class, Practicing the Presence. I've read it a few times, as you can see. It's one of my go-tos, one of the ones that I love. One of the ones that really asks us to step into a completely different state of surrender. Joel Goldsmith is what we call an absolutist. You know, and Ernest Holmes was considered an absolutist, and Emma Curtis Hopkins was considered an absolutist, but Joel Goldsmith really is. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about his teaching, right? There's no black and white. He truly lives by God is everything or God is nothing. Which one are you going to believe, right? Are you saying that you believe in God yet acting differently, right? And he caught himself several times throughout his life doing just that and questioned himself on it. The degree of spiritual consciousness which we attain can be measured by the extent to which we relinquish our dependence on the external world of form and place our faith and confidence in something greater than ourselves. The secret of harmonious living is the development of spiritual consciousness. These are Goldsmith quotes. As long as we look to people and situations for peace, we shall fail to find either enduring satisfaction or peace. One time in his life, he um, was feeling like he didn't have enough money. He was feeling a little bit of lack. And so he um, woke up in the middle of the night, and he said he did the custom that at that time most uh, Christian science practitioners did. He had a ledger of all the people that had come to him for prayer, either in person or over the phone. And, and he added up. It was $2 for a over-the-phone or distance consultation, and it was $3 for an in-person consultation. And so he added up all of the receipts that he had. And he saw that the receipts that he had equaled $150, and his bills were only $100. <coughs> So he thought, well, good, okay, I got $50 extra. Went back to bed. And he woke up, and he thought, I've got this wrong. I've got this wrong. I am depending on my clients for the money and not source. I am thinking I'm okay because I've got this $50 extra from Mr. Brown and Mrs. Brown and Jane and Sue and so on. But I'm not relying on source. And this is what I mean about him being an absolutist. He took this stuff to the letter. He practiced it to the letter. So what he did is he got up in the middle of the night, he printed out those receipts, and on the bottom of those um, bills he wrote, I am practicing a, a gratitude, a wonderful things are happening in my life. Thank you so very much. Consider this bill paid. And the next morning, he mailed those bills. Now he said, okay, God, I no longer have that $100 coming from Mr. Brown and Mrs. Brown. I am relying totally on you. Totally on you. you know, because he saw in his consciousness that he was relying not on source. And wherever he found himself not relying on source, he corrected. He corrected so he would completely be dependent on source. And he did this over and over again in his practice. And of course, the story goes that money came in and money came in. One night, he went to um, a board meeting, and he came home, and where he was staying in the lobby was a gentleman, all dressed up, having a cigar. And Joel recognized the man as a man he had known back in his sales day. And he talked to the gentleman, and the gentleman was on his honeymoon, and this gentleman was dressed to the nines. And back in the day, Joel had helped this man. This man was a heavy drinker, and he had showed up at Joel's place, and Joel had let him sleep there, had let him uh, wash up, had gotten him some fresh clothing, 
something and gotten him some food. And the gentleman said to Joel, he says, I think I owe you some money. And Joel said, well, yes, I think I do remember that, you know. And, and the man said, let's add up what I owe you. You all know what he owed him, right? $150 it added up to, right? So we never know. We just never know. When we pace our dependence completely on source, we just don't know what's going to show up. We just don't know. You know, I think I've talked to you before about my uh, story of the tightrope walker. And I love this because I think it's a wonderful analogy, and I know I've told it before. But the story of the tightrope walker who's going across, you know, and he's got a barrel, and he's pushing the barrel, and he's going from point A to point B. And there's two people on the ground, and they say, uh, the one man says to the other man, do you believe that that man can make it across? And the guy says, oh, yeah, I believe he can make it across. And he says, yeah, but do you have faith? He can make it across. And the guy's like, well, yeah. He says, okay, well, then get into the wheelbarrow. <laughs> right? The difference between believing and having complete faith, complete surrender. Joel Goldsmith teaches a deep, profound surrender and reliance on the divine. You know, after reading this this week in preparation, I saw places in my spiritual practice where I am relying on conditions, I'm relying on man, you know, places where I really can let go and surrender at a whole nother level. You know, either God is everything or God is nothing. What's it to be? What's it to be, right? Joel was a modern-day mystic, and towards the end of his life, he really lived between the two worlds. And you can read his biography, and his biography is based on lots of letters that he wrote. So a lot of it is in his own words. But he really was between these two worlds. He could see, as Ernest did, behind the veil. And then he would come back to life and, and, and be troubled because he wanted to be back there. So he was living between these two worlds a modern-day mystic, practicing the presence. He goes into much of the practice, much of the doing, much of uh, how it is to achieve this state of absolute surrender. I, I encourage you to pick it up. I think we have it in the bookstore, Practicing the Presence. And he has many, many, many other books that are amazing. I'm going to leave you with this quote of his, which I think is interesting. If we think we haven't gotten there yet and we think there's some there we're supposed to get, let these words assure you. From my background of 30 years, I will tell you this. I do not know what it is all about or how it is done. I do not know how God functions or why the spiritual activity is what it is. I cannot grasp it. The best I am able to do is to release myself and let it grasp me. You see, that's the key. The best I'm able to do is to release myself and let it grasp me. I do not have the faintest idea of what it is or how it is that some of the great miracles we are witnessing are performed. I only know that in proportion as I am able to release myself from faith in what I think I know, in that degree, something takes place and produces effect in this outer world. God bless you this week as you go out into the world. Blessings, blessings, blessings. Good to have you here. Miss Gary.